today on Ag News Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. It is Mike Pearson here on a snowy day in the upper Midwest for today's Ag News Daily podcast, but... We've got a little sunshine, a little jambalaya coming to us from Delaney <laughs> Howell, our co-host down in Nolens. Oh, good, good accent, Mike. I like it. Yeah. Well, if you're down in Nolens, you just best be talking like this. That's not really how people talk down here, but we can pretend. Uh, no, I'm not quite slow enough to be talking like they do in Nolens. Okay. Well, anyways, yes, the weather is nicer here. Um, I have to say, I've ate so much good food while I've been down here, seen a lot of really good live music. It's like the kind of music that feeds your soul. And I assume, since you're down there for the NCBA convention, the good food you're eating is steak? No. I'm in New Orleans. I'm not going to eat steak. I'm eating seafood. Sacrilege, Delaney Howell. I know. It is a little bit, but... You can get a, I would rather eat steak in Iowa anyways, like New Orleans. You're not coming here to eat a steak. That's true. That's true. You're going there to eat some crayfish and some shrimp. And, yeah, absolutely. Have you had a good jambalaya or a good gumbo? Yes, I have had a good jambalaya. I had some alligator yeah. last night. Oh, yeah. Ooh, what was alligator like? I've never had it. It really does taste like chicken. Like everybody says that. But it, so we had it blackened and fried. I would say the blackened was a little bit chewier than chicken, but texture-wise, pretty close to chicken. Interesting. So it's a white meat. It's yes. Like, huh. Yeah. And did you put any special seasonings on it? What goes on? Um, what goes good on gator? Well, so one of them we got half of it blackened, which is some sort of seasoning mixture, and then the other okay. half was deep fat fried. Oh. Do you put ketchup on it or ranch? Um, they served it with like a, I don't know what kind of sauce you'd call it, like some sort of Creole mustard sauce. Pretty good. Mmm, that does sound tasty. Yes, it was pretty tasty. Interesting. I'm going to eat some leftover chuck roast for dinner tonight. Yeah, don't even eat chicken nuggets. I won't eat chicken nuggets. I'm a grown-up. <laughs> I'm saying because of the food recall, don't eat chicken nuggets. Oh, yes. Well, I don't have to worry about that again, because I am indeed a grown-up, okay. Delaney Apple. Anyways, sassy pants. Speaking of grown-ups, we've got some grown-up things to talk about today mm. in the news. What's going on? Yeah, let's talk a little bit about some of this weather stuff, because I've been reading a lot, of, um, a lot of articles on it, especially because I'm not there, so I really can't even fathom how cold it is. But uh, in some areas of the Midwest especially... Temperatures have gotten to as low as negative 40 degrees, which is the point at which Fahrenheit and Celsius converge, which I didn't realize, but... Oh, I didn't either. Yeah, so that was kind of interesting, but uh, it sounds like maybe we're getting close to getting out of that sub-zero temperatures. Um, A lot of producers have been feeling the effects of that. Tyson has canceled two shifts at a pork plant in Waterloo. Hormel Foods has hotted hog slaughter in Austin, Minnesota. Cargill has closed some of its grain plants. Folks are really trying to avoid being out in the in this really cold, crappy weather. Yeah, it it sucks. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, actually, speaking of the cold, I've got an interesting story here. I figured some of our listeners might be able to use this. This is technology coming to us from the city of Chicago. Um, it has been so cold that their Chicago Metro, the light rail system that uh, you know carries passengers around Chicago, the steel in the tracks has been contracting and shrinking due to the extreme mm. cold, and that's causing breaks in the uh, in the railroad tracks, which is not great right. if you're on a train. So what the city of Chicago is doing, the workers are going along. They've got a gas-fed, natural gas-fed system that essentially shoots hot flames onto <laughs> the tracks, causing them to expand. And once they've expanded, the workers get in there and they either weld or bolt the systems of track back together. So any listeners, if you're having trouble hmm. with something made of steel on your farm, get out a flamethrower and put a little heat to that bad boy. Oh, that sounds pretty bizarre, Mike. I'm not going to lie to you. I know. I, I saw that's why I had to report on it. I just thought it was fascinating. They got to 26 below this morning in Chicago, and so they uh, they had their flame system up and running, basically blow torches underneath Ugh. the track that uh, expanded all the metal. Well, yeah, and trains I mean, are driving over it while right. the, the rails are on fire. Yeah, I mean, we say negative 40, but with wind chill, you're getting down to negative 65 in some areas of the Midwest. I can't even. Ugh. I on, Like, I really... Okay, I feel, I just want to say, I, pre, I feel very fortunate I'm not there. I'm sorry for everybody that's listening that is there, having to experience this, experience this including you, Mike, but I, I really just, I cannot fathom how cold that is. It's, it's so cold, you kind of don't even notice the cold, it's just pain. Like you're just numb. Kind of, but it's a numb that stings. Yeah, that doesn't it's sound It's just pleasant. painful. It's just... Like, I, I went to Des Moines earlier today, of course, for the uh, Iowa Power Farming Show. And, in fact, I've got a conversation we'll bring to you here in just a couple minutes from there. But um, it took me from Grinnell to about Mitchellville, which for our listeners outside of Iowa, that's a good 35, mm -hmm. 40 miles before my toes thawed out enough that uh. I could feel it while I was driving. Oh, no. Oh, no. And I spent practically zero time outside this morning. That's just how long it took. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Well, that's enough, Doc Delaney. We've got some big news going on in uh, D.C. right now with the China trade mission here yes. in this country. Yes, fill us in. What's going on? Well, so I, I don't know what's happening with the meetings. Mm -hmm. um, that is a very closed-door event. Hopefully we'll, uh, we'll get some indications one way or the other the way things are going here in the short term. But President Trump said today that he would rather strike a, quote, very big deal with China or postpone it. Um, he said, quote, this isn't going to be a small deal with China. This is either going to be a very big deal or it's going to be a deal that we'll just postpone for a little while. Mm. And uh, that is something he told reporters at the White House earlier today. What the heck does that mean? <laughs> we don't know. And apparently neither does President Trump. Uh, he was later asked by reporters if he would postpone that March 1st deadline that we set, the United States set earlier, and Trump said, quote, I don't know. <laughs> so nobody seems mm. to know exactly quite what he meant. We don't know if he was alluding to some of the conversations that have been going on, but uh, it certainly gave the stock market a little bit of pause today. It did not give the commodities markets a whole lot of gristle to work with, and uh, yeah, we just kind of kind of chopped around it. Actually, while we're speaking about the markets, Delaney, I had a conversation with Tony McDonald from Ag Trader Talk, partners up there with Garrett Toy, our good friend, 
And uh, we talked about this. So what do you say? Why don't we just toss it over to Tony McDonald? Sounds great. Well, here at the Iowa Power Farming Show, stumbled into the lair of one of our friends of the podcast, the guys at Ag Trader Talk. Of course, you all know Garrett Toy. Today, we are talking to Tony McDonald at the Ag Trader Talk First Choice Commodities booth. Tony, how you doing today? Doing good. Day three. About to wrap it up. <laughs> has it been a good show so far? It has. You know, it was uh, kind of worrisome with uh, with the weather, um, but we did, uh, you know, see quite a few clients and prospective clients, and... Uh, you know, I, I'd call it overall a pretty good show. Now, we've had Garrett on the podcast. We need to get you on the podcast to get your market expertise, Tony. But we've never delved into exactly what Ag Trader Talk does. Give us a breakdown. What do you guys do day to day? Day to day would be market research. So we release, you know, morning, midday, and afternoon comments. Um, and throughout the day, we're releasing, you know, USDA data, um, trends we see in the market for our clientele. Now, our clientele ranges from a farmer in western Iowa um, to a fund manager in New York, to um, a grain mill in, in China, and everywhere in between. Uh, so we basically are the go-between uh, from the farmers. So we monitor basis, you know, from a day-to-day throughout the Midwest, uh, Corn Belt, even, you know, the export points. Um, and we're, we're analyzing that year over year um, as we see fit. You know, it might be a bullish trend, a bearish trend. Uh, things like that, but we release that to clients. Um, I would say on average we, we send 10 to 15 emails a day on varying topics. So, Tony, what are the big trends you're seeing today? If I'm a grain mill operator in China, what's the hot topic here in the U.S. that I want to know about today? Release the reports. So we're, we're, uh, <laughs> we're dealing with some uh, government shutdowns still. Um, we got export sales for the first time in five, six weeks, uh, this morning, which were good corn and beans. Uh, but it's as of December 20th. So we still have some time to make up, uh, of getting what, you know, happened this past week. Uh, things like that. Now CFTC data is the same way. Uh, they're going to be trickling it out over the next two, three weeks. Uh, but everyone's going to be eyeing, uh, that February, February 8th, uh, crop report. Uh, that's going to be the big one that, that everyone's going to be keying off now. Markets are weaker right now because it's end of the month, uh, fund money in, fund money out, uh, that kind of thing. But tomorrow's you know the first of the month. What 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 are the trends going to be there? So what are the trends going to be, Tony? What do you what are you seeing? What, are we going to get some strength in this bean market? Bean market, it, it's going to go with the headlines. Uh, you know, if we can get a deal wrapped up with China, uh, things like that, that's going to be the strength. But we've also been dealing with those headlines. Um, since June of last year. Right. So um, it, it's more of an exhaustion thing right now. But if we finally put pen to paper and, and get something done, um, you know, we're going to be better off for it. But after uh, this February crop report, you know, it's going to be an acreage battle. Uh, you know, there's people talking 94, 95 million acres of corn next year. Uh, okay, but what are beans going to do? Right. You know, farmers didn't get field work done uh, last fall because of late fall. And, and, uh, you know, you didn't get the trash uh, worked in the ground, and you also didn't get fallen hydras done in a lot of places. So does that, you know, play a part in what's going to be corn acres next year? Yeah. So, so at, at, do you guys do estimates of corn and bean acres? No. Okay. Now let's talk a little bit about basis. We've been hearing tremendously awful basis, North Dakota, Western Minnesota, parts of South Dakota. I mean, it, bean basis hasn't been great anywhere. Yep. 
Are we starting to see some stabilization? Are there any indications that perhaps China has been buying some soybeans? You know, about two, three weeks ago, we did see a bid come out of the PNW. I think last night there were about 55, 58 cents uh, positive basis out of the PNW. Uh, so that, that's the first indication that there's actually a market being set up there. Now it takes time to establish that market. Uh, but yeah, it, it shows the indication that that PNW uh, market has come back to us a little bit. Now, as far as, you know, the countryside um, and the poor basis, you know, in western Iowa on beans, um, that's all part of the grain flows. Um, Dakotas have been dealing with a, a poor basis up there for the last two years or so. Um, but that starts with the Bakken region and getting their hands on trains and things like that, you know, logistics side of things. Yeah. Now, as we're thinking ahead to this next year. We've got growers still sitting on a lot of unsold corn bushels for sure. Hopefully most of those old crop beans have, have been priced. What, what's your take on the farmer situation here with, with old crop? On old crop corn, you're going to have some some uh, opportunities from now till July um, to get, I don't know if it's the price you want, but you know a better price um, than we've been dealing with. Uh, just because you know you look at the balance sheet for last year, we were actually at a corn deficit. You know, we we produced you know 14 and a half, 14 six uh, billion bushels of corn, but we had demand for 15, 15 one. Now that balance sheet also goes with ethanol demand too. Um, ethanol margins haven't been the greatest. Um, Northern Iowa ethanol plants were running 20, 25 percent of their capacity uh, at the turn of the year, uh, or shutting down up there too. Um, but they're coming back online. Those same plants are running about 80 percent now. Uh, margins are getting better because the price of oils, you know, getting stabilized, I, I'd say is a better word to yeah. put it. Um, and here and you got it, you know, up 60, 60 cents a barrel right now. So, you know, that ethanol demand is going to go at the price of crude. But at the same time, you know, if we can keep that ethanol demand in there, we're going to have, you know, better basis going forward. And you've already seen basis firm up in a lot of places. You know, Cedar Rapids, Clinton at option basis right now. Um, you know, it's showing you that those markets are, are still firm. Yeah. So. Yeah, they're still there. Now, if if we've got listeners out there, they just want to know what's the one headline that could move any of these markets big one way or the other. Is it still a China trade deal? Is that that's still the overriding concern? If that if that headline comes out saying deals done with China, uh, they're going to buy X amount of ag products over what they've already done um, over the next you know five six years. You know, I think that headline came out the other day, and you saw you know the market uptick you know ten fifteen cents, and that was just a headline. Yeah. So when you actually put, you know, pen to paper and get a deal done, might be a framework deal, might not. Um, you know, that's going to be that's going to be your bullish story that you can sink your teeth into. Now we've got the Chinese here in D.C. this week. They're working supposedly on a deal. Let's say next Wednesday comes around, these conversations are over. There's a headline: no deal with China. What's the downside risk here in the soybean market? Downside risk, it's still there. I mean, you you've rallied this thing up. Quite a bit, um, but there is still some downside risk because there is no deal um, in place now. Is there a dollar to the downside? Do you think, Tony? I wouldn't say that. Okay. Um, you know that'd be back around harvest lows in here, but I, I, I don't foresee that. So I mean, your downside risk in the, in the near term soybeans is twenty cents to get down to that nine dollar handle, um, give or take some in there. Um, but that's you know, like I said, people, traders, farmers, they're just exhausted of the headlines right now. Okay. Tony, if we've got listeners who want to subscribe to Egg Trader Talk, they want to get in touch with you, where should they go to do that? Uh, pull up the website, agtradertalk.com. Uh, register for a free trial. Or you can give Garrett or I a call. Uh, our office number here in Des Moines is 
800-273-5500. Thank you very much, Tony McDonald. Well, there we go. Uh, the market is is waiting on those headlines, as Tony said, and it, we didn't get any of them today besides more perhaps confusion. Yeah, I think definitely confusion, especially as you look at just, I mean, everything that's going on in D.C. related to trade and policy, because I have some news today. Um, so as we know, we've talked about it before on the podcast, but Congress has tried to essentially introduce an act that would allow them to kind of curb those Section 232 tariffs that President Trump has put into place. So the Bicameral Congressional Trade Authority Act would give Congress 60 days to review the president's proposed usage of those Section 232 tariffs. And it looks like lawmakers are maybe going to try and bring this act up again in Congress to see if there's anything they can do to kind of get rid of some of these tariffs. Maybe, this is just me speculating, maybe they're doing this ahead of the March 1st deadline so that President Trump doesn't put another round of tariffs into place. Hard to say really at this point, but that is also going on in D.C. this week. Well, what's the take, Delaney? Have you heard? I mean, does it sound like this has legs or is this just a bill that's going to go nowhere? I'm going to say a bill that's going nowhere. I mean, because of the fact that we're still, we, I mean, we took so long, we're not, we should still technically be in a government shutdown. So I'm going to say because of the fact of the divide we've been seeing between the parties in Congress, I'm going to say this is not going to go through. Yeah. Although it does sound like trade is one of those things that maybe can reach across the aisle. Maybe the Democrats want to stick it to President Trump so they'll get on board with, you know, reducing the impact of tariffs. And Republicans just maybe want to see, you know, their farm constituents uh, not hit on the head with another sledgehammer. Who knows? I don't know. I'm being optimistic about government. Yeah, I see that. I know. I can tell. Well, I just have one other piece of news here, and this is coming out of the EU, but it is connected to a lot of us here in the United States. And this is uh, Agco and their uh, their company, Massey Ferguson, has said they're going to buy a site right next door to their factory in Beauvais, France. Mm, uh, I have nice. no idea. Yeah. Say it. Beauvais. Um, basically, they're, they're going to buy uh, just about a 30-acre site. And of that, about uh, 10 acres is buildings. And they say that with this acquisition, this is going to allow Massey Ferguson to increase tractor production by 18,000 tractors per year. Wow. Yeah, that just seems like a huge, huge jump. Well, they have the demand for that. They uh, they say they do. I was talking to a, a friend of mine over at Agco, and he said Massey is their uh, is one of the strongest performing brands around the world. Not uh, necessarily here in the U.S., where you mm-hmm. know we get that green and red competition, mm-hmm. but over in Europe and particularly in Asia, uh, Massey Ferguson and in uh, Australia, Massey Ferguson is uh, one of the major players. Hmm. Interesting. All right then. Very interesting stuff. Yes. Well, Mike, the only other piece of news I really had for today was just another report here um, about a report. Ha ha. Uh, The Ag Census report is going to be delayed because of the government shutdown. So they're deeming it kind of non-essential or like not a priority at this point. So we're hopefully going to see the uh, National Agricultural Statistics Service release that census data on April 11th, even though it was originally supposed to be 
released on February 21st. Okay. So they're going to bump it, what, six weeks? That's not terrible. Yeah. And it's like, well, it's the government anyways. Are they really ever on time with stuff? Well, yeah. yeah. And, you know, just like Tony talked about, the traders, everybody's excited to get their hands on these reports again. Yeah. Now that the government, at least for the time being, for at least another two weeks, is open. Yes, that's true. Well, let's see. We've got the grain markets today, and they were open today, even if producers perhaps wish they weren't. What do you say, Delaney? Should we get through the numbers? Let's do it, Mike. All right, folks, and our markets are brought to us by our friends at Zaner. Remember, you can always contact Zaner to get some help managing your marketing risk. Give them a shout at 312-277-0050 or visit them on the web at zaner.com. Here we go in the corn market. The March contract down four and three quarter cents at three seventy six and a half. The May down four and a half cents at three eighty five and a quarter. In soybeans, the March contract down five and three quarters at nine fifteen and a quarter. The May down five and three quarters as well to close the day at nine twenty nine and a quarter. In Chicago wheat, March down a quarter of a penny at five sixteen and a half. The May down three quarters at five twenty one and three quarters. Jumping over to livestock, we've got weakness all down in the proteins today. February live cattle down a dollar thirty-five at one twenty-four eighty. The April contract down a dollar seventy-five, finished at one twenty-six thirty. In feeder cattle, January was down twenty-seven and a half cents at one forty-two ten. The March down a dollar seventy-five to finish at one forty-two fifty-five. And the weakness continues in lean hogs. February lean hogs down a dollar twenty at fifty-six twenty-five. The April contract down two dollars to close at sixty twenty-two and a half. Looking over towards the dairy market, February. Class three milk up two cents at fourteen oh five, with the March contract down a dime to finish at fourteen thirty six. Delaney, for our key interview for the day, why don't you tell us what you've got coming to us out of New Orleans? All right. Well, I caught up with a couple of representatives from the National Corn Growers Association. Mike, in case you didn't know, livestock continue to be the number one user of corn in the U.S. So uh, those folks are going to update us on a couple of of policy and trade-related things here, so let's kick it over to them. Chatting with Kevin Ross, who is the first vice president for the National Corn Growers Association and also an Iowa boy and a cattle producer. Kevin, uh, tell us a little bit about your operation. So we're uh, just outside Underwood, Iowa, in the south, southwest area. Um, yeah, corn, soybeans, uh, enough hay for our cattle, and... Um, uh, yeah, cow calf operation. We've got uh, we got a bunch of feeders selling on Friday. Okay, so I've got to ask your National Corn Growers Association member, obviously, and also an Iowa Corn Growers Association member. Are you an Iowa Cattlemen's member? Yeah, hey, darn right I am. Uh, you know, as uh, and and soybean association member. So, um, but yeah, three uh, three very important industries to to me and uh, to our farm, and um, uh, each of those groups has a, a uniquely different. Uh, uh, different purpose, you know, a very focused purpose, and that's um, that's why uh, you know uh, I'm a member of each, and, and um, they all work very closely hand in hand on a lot of different uh, different topics, though. So hopefully we're all doing a good thing for uh, for the Iowa farmers and for the national farmers for, the, for that for that matter. Yeah, working together is essential. And I asked Gary this question. I'm going to ask you too because I told him I was going to grill you on all the hard questions. Um, why would National Corn Growers Association come to the NCBA convention? Other than the fact that we're both in ag, we work hand in hand. We're, I mean, a lot of producers are Corn Growers Association members, as you mentioned, like you are, and also cattle members. 
Well, you know, simply put, there's a lot of corn that uh, is is consumed uh, in in the beef industry. Um, a lot of uh, value is created by that. A lot of value is exported through uh, you know meat exports, and uh, um, you know we've got yeah a lot of our growers that uh, you know are are using um, you know using value added practices through that exact manner through the, the meats, um, and and really you know we want to show that uh, that we're you know, we, we value the industry as NCGA. We, we value the partnerships. And, um, you know, we're here to hopefully continue to cultivate those and make sure that, you know, just make sure that, uh, you know, they know how much we care that they're using corn. That's very important to us. Okay, here we go. We're going to dive into the harder questions. We spoke, I think, at Farm Progress Show this past summer. And at that point in time, we'd just seen the MFP payments released. Corn was obviously getting a cent per bushel. Now we've got the second tranche going on. Does NCGA still have the stance of they're not happy about it? I mean, there's really nothing you can do at this point, but. Yeah, you know, at this point, uh, still certainly the the penny was disappointing, but, you know, the the calculation was what it was. And then and the way they went about uh, doing that, we, uh, uh, you know, I guess at this point, uh, moving forward, we're going to, you know, work on, uh, you know, work on the export policies like we were then. Um, We're concentrating on now getting USMCA passed. Uh, That's going to be. Whenever that actually gets, you know, hits the floor of Congress, we want to make sure that gets gets run through uh, in an expeditious manner, um, so we don't have any trade disruptions with our give partners in Mexico and Canada. Uh, and as well, we're going to, you know, be working on the next trade agreements and hopefully getting uh, good ag policies in those as well. I know, I know the trade office is working on Japan, um, very, uh, very hard right now. They've, you know, kind of done their job on USMCA, so they're moved on a little bit to. Uh, the next key countries, and, and Japan being one of them for both beef and corn, for sure. What about Corn Growers Association? What are, what's NCGA working on? Because I know NCGA is doing a lot of trade missions outside of the United States. Where are the next big markets that you guys are looking at? So uh, we work closely with also the U.S. Grains Council, um, and, and they're really the export arm for corn. Um, and, you know, they identify different, uh, different regions, different um, areas that are uh, you know, up and coming, as well as the the markets that we have to maintain. Um, you know, we're going to be in Colombia here in a few weeks uh, with uh, with the Grains Council. Um, our executive team will be there and and uh, discussing that market in particular, uh, as well as you know a lot of the other markets that they'll have at their meetings. Um, they'll be bringing bringing in a lot of their directors in other countries. So, you know, Mexico is still a, a, a great place for us to be doing work and for them to continue to do work, but. Japan, uh, as I mentioned, uh, key market. Uh, the Colombian market is actually a very key one that uh, uh, has grown by leaps and bounds here. So um, Southeast Asia is always, I think, big for, for corn, though, and, and we're going to continue to work hard there, too. Okay. I said I was going to ask you hard questions. I've got a hard question for you. Let's say Congress decides USMCA, they don't like it, they scrap it, they decide not to pass it, whatever. That's a big hypothetical. Hopefully that doesn't happen, but... From there, what is NCGA specifically going to do if that happens so that we don't lose those export markets in Canada and Mexico? Well, we really want to make sure that, that uh, the president doesn't pull out of NAFTA prematurely, I guess. That's that's a, a, a key uh, aspect for us. It's not that we – I mean, we certainly support USMCA and, and want to see that passed, but um, if there are any hiccups along the way, we don't feel we can afford to, to have that chance. And, and so staying in that – um, that current NAFTA agreement until that is through Congress and, and uh, rubber stamped or whatever you want to call it, 
um, we want to make sure that that happens and, and so we don't end up with any type of disruption afterwards. So, Kevin, as the first vice president, how much do you have your hand in the pie, so to speak, about deciding policy on behalf of NCJ? Is it more of a trickle-down effect where there are people kind of disseminating information to you and then you're also passing that along to other producers and media and whatnot? Or is it you're helping make some of those decisions related to policy and trade? That's a good question. Our our uh, our process at National Corn is a is a grassroots organization. So our policy really starts from the ground up, from the growers, and and uh, you know and comes all the way through uh, you know from the local areas and our state meetings, and then is brought to uh, the national stage. And, and one of two meetings, one of them's coming up here at Commodity Classic, and uh, the other one is uh, our July Corn Congress meeting in D.C. And so. Um, once that policy is through our, our delegate body, which is uh, representative of uh, a lot of different states, uh, a lot of different places that grow corn, um, ratified by the body, and those policies move forward to our you know our D.C. staff as well as our uh, our board and other folks that uh, and states when they get to, to Washington to try to push those uh, those NCGA and corn policies forward. So that's kind of the way it works for us, and and um, it's been a very good process in the past. I think it's great to have. Um, our complete grassroots network that, that brings those issues forward. It's, it's fantastic. Implementation of the Farm Bill is another um, issue that's been affecting producers right now. What are you hearing on the ground level? Uh, there's going to be, um, you know, there's dollars in the bill for implementation, and um, there weren't, you know, it, it's not as many significant changes in this bill as there, you know, was in the last one. So hopefully it goes fairly smoothly. Um, but, you know, the offices had to get back to work first, so uh, that's uh, certainly certainly good to see them back to work and able to, you know, start start uh, getting, you know, getting educated on uh, the new farm bill and, and um, you know, hopefully that, that transfers into good service at the offices by the time we're going to sign up. Are there any big changes or things related to policy or legislation or anything like that for corn and or cattle producers that people should be aware of? Yeah, there's uh, some things with the ARC and PLC payments that uh, some some slight changes there. Uh, one of the changes was that after the first two-year sign-up in the next Farm Bill, you'll be able to change every year if you would like between those two programs. Um, and there's some other nuances throughout the bill, but uh, uh, I, I couldn't speak to a lot of the ones on cattle side. There's some ag research dollars that, that were um, approved. A lot of this stuff has to be appropriated yet, though, too, so... Um, but they were approved for expanded ag research um, across, you know, a lot of the land grant system, things like that. And those dollars, you know, can certainly help on both, uh, you know, corn research as well as, I'm sure, cattle research too. And, and um, you know, we need we need ag research dollars. We've been, I think, in a way, bleeding in that area for a long time. And so it's really good to see uh, Congress kind of step up and, and uh, add some, you know, add some dollars in that arena too. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe adding adding a little stability in this time of uncertainty with trade and whatnot. Kevin Ross, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks, Delaney. It's great to be here and uh, appreciate the time. Chatting with Gary Porter, who is an NCGA board member and a producer from Mercer, Missouri. Gary, tell me a little bit about your operation. Well, that's a corn, soybean, and Angus cattle operation. Uh, my father loved cattle. I mean, uh, ever since I was just a little boy growing up, uh, he loved his Angus cattle. We had registered Angus for a long time and had his own production sale, and uh, yeah, he just loved his cattle. And I loved, actually loved uh, tractors and big diesel engines and things like that a little bit more. So we made a good combination. We had a good grain uh, cattle 
operation, and it worked really good. And that's probably why they nominated you to come to the NCBA convention is because you're a corn board member, but you also have cattle. Would that be your guess? That's it. When they asked me, you know, I said, well, I was excited. I thought, man, I get a chance to go down to the cattlemen's convention. So, you know, I've pulled uh, baby calves whenever it's cold out, and, and I went down the creek and pulled a calf out of the mud and got him back with his mama again, you know. And so I've been through a lot of this, and it was really interesting to me. And so I thought this is a great opportunity. Tell me then, besides the obvious fact that obviously NCGA is an ag group, why else would the National Corn Growers Association be at a livestock-focused convention? My land, I'll tell you what, ag, uh, animal ag is our largest customer. So, I mean, if we're not interested in our largest customer, there's something wrong. So, you know, uh, 1.1 billion bushels of corn goes to the U.S. beef production alone. And if you add DDGs on top of that, Beef is our largest customer, so I mean it's really important. And in fact, red meat exports adds 39 cents a bushel to a bushel of corn. And you can ask any uh, corn farmer out there today if you're going to dig some kind of a profit out of a corn crop, it's in that top 39 cents. Okay, let me make sure I understood that. 39 cents of every red meat export comes back to corn. Say that one more time for me. So the total of red meat exports adds 39 cents a bushel to corn. Okay. What about, so I've got to ask, what about with all the trade disputes that we've been having, do you still see that being the case? Uh, I'm sure it's slacked off just a little bit, but actually, you know, in Mexico being our largest customer and also with beef, I think, so uh, it hasn't really slowed it down all that much. We don't have that much of beef and corn that goes to China, so uh, through all the trade, you know, has hindered us a little bit, you know, like when soybeans go down, usually corn will follow and so things like that does affect it so that's what we're working hard on getting that corrected yeah absolutely so as a cattle producer and also you sit on the ncga board how do you wear those two different hats or kind of balance your mindset of a corn grower or a corn association member versus being a cattle producer well we work together so much to get you know all the time anyhow it's like our farm for every 160 acres of good crop ground you have, we have about 160 acres that makes great pasture. So we're a real good combination in my area in southern Iowa, northern Missouri. That means that, you know, we have diversified so much that, you know, we have both the cattle and the crops. And so we can see it from both sides. And so it actually makes it good. So when I go into corn National Corn Growers Office, I know about corn. I know how it affects things. But I also know how it affects our number one con- a customer. So it makes a good combination, actually. And, you know, I'm surprised when I read through kind of some of the information that livestock was the number one user of corn because, to be honest, I kind of assumed it was ethanol, and that's not really the case. Where are we at with the whole ethanol year-round E15 thing? Well, we're working on that right now. It's not being proven if everything's shut down right now. But, you know, cattle's been our number one forever. I mean, uh, it, when we first started out, that you know, your corn went to cattle, and uh, so are all animal livestock, you know, so... It's been very important from, you know, way back when my great-grandfather worked. You know, I remember going to the top of the hill where my grandpa lived at and shoveling corn out of a corn crib for the pigs. And that's where their corn crop went to. So, I mean, animal ag is number one for corn, and it always has been. So how does the Corn Growers Association work with NCBA or work with cattle producers specifically to promote that fact? Well, NCGA is the sole sponsor of the Cattlemen's Education Series. And that is a series where we give money to the beef industry where uh, a state can apply for a grant money and up to two to $4,000. 
and they can apply for that grant money, and if they get it, they can put on a seminar to help educate cattlemen on how to uh, better rations, uh, the importance of protein, all the way down to uh, having cattle, uh, calves, you know, during Kevin period. So any kind of education for cattlemen, and that's what that series goes to, and NCGA was the only uh, the sole supporter of it. So we're working hard for our number one customer. That's awesome. Um, looking out into the future here, like the next, let's say the next year, what are some things that policy-wise or trade-wise that NCGA is going to be working on other than E15 year-round, I know, is a big one? Yeah, well, there's lots of things that, you know, we're working on right now. We just came back from a meeting in Memphis just a couple of weeks ago, and the things that are coming down, you know, we, we are constantly watching out for the corn farmers and for the cattle industry because, the, you know, they're so important to us. So anything that the cattle industry sees that is going to be uh, something to help them or hurt them, you know, NCGA is in on it to help them, and also something that's uh, going to have, affect the corn farmers. They're going to make sure that, you know, if there's something that's going to be good for the corn farmer or bad for the corn farmer. So we watch all those bills and legislating coming through. And so we just got the farm bill passed, and everything seems pretty good there. We're kind of excited about see how it's going to roll out exactly and when that's going to happen. So there's lots of things happening, and we just keep our eye out for it. Gary, final question. Are you going to be at the Commodity Classic here in a couple of weeks? I am. Actually, they appointed me to two committees. One is for the beef industry, and the second committee they appointed me to is the Commodity Classic industry. So I'm going to be on that committee uh, starting uh, this Commodity Classic. All right. So if folks want to catch up with you there, they can definitely do that, it sounds like. Gary, thank you so much. Thanks a lot. All right. Well, again, that was Kevin Ross, who is the first vice president, and Gary Porter, a board member for NCGA. We've got a lot of great stuff going to be coming to us. Tomorrow, I think, is going to be a really great interview, and I encourage everybody to tune in. I talked to a gentleman who raises Wagyu beef in Craig, Nebraska, so that's going to be a really fun Friday episode. Mike, if people have missed out on some of our past Friday episodes or other episodes, where should they head? They should go to their internet browser right now and type into the address bar agnewsdaily.com. It will take them to our website and our new home at the Global Ag Network. They can download all of our past episodes and they can get connected with other podcasts focused on the agriculture industry. Some uh, some very intelligent, some very funny, <laughs> all of them very engaging. So listen, yes. be sure to check out the globalagnetwork.com or globalagnetwork.com and uh, check out those other podcasts. With that, Delaney. Should we let the people go? Let's let them go.